Hello, and thanks for listening to Shelf Love. Welcome to the Decameron Quarantine Romance Book Club. This is part eight of a 10-episode miniseries of short, casual conversations with romance experts who are here to spread the joy of romance novels so that we can all stay home and not spread the coronavirus. I'm Andrea Martucci, host of the Shelf Love Podcast, and tonight I'm joined by Lequette, the former president of RWA NYC and author of 11 books featuring unapologetically diverse, bold, and sexy characters, Felicia Grossman, author of historical romance, musical theater nerd, and eclair enthusiast, and Jessica Lynn Van Sluten, an associate professor of English, writing, and women's and gender studies at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Tonight's theme is fantasy, and I am very curious to see how you all interpreted this fantasy theme. (laughs) Let's start with Laquette. I'm laughing because (laughs) I really don't read fantasy, so... I'm like, hmm, what book do, have I read that I feel kind of falls in this line? So I hope it, it fits your criteria. It's Lakota Dreaming by Constance Gilliam. And it seems to be a contemporary book, but there's a there's a connection, a, a mental and emotional connection between the heroine and her ancestor who was a slave. And the ancestor is calling her back to this Native American reservation where I guess she was murdered to kind of solve her her murder. And in that process, she is brought onto this reservation and she's able to somehow, I can't even explain it all, you really, really just have to read it, but she's able to connect to the past and see the past like through her ancestors' eyes. And it's really, it was really to me anyway, I felt it was, it's a really important story, but it was also the mythology and the the magic involved in it. I loved it all. So there's like a supernatural element? Yes. So she's able to speak to her ancestors and they call it, it's something to do with the blood. Like she basically experiences her ancestors' trauma to some degree in her own present life. So she could be walking down the block and would just collapse and have these visions connecting her to the past and to this woman that she knew nothing about. And it shows you the rich culture of African-American culture as well as Native American culture and bringing it all together. And a lot of the mythology and the stories and, and fables that surround those cultures. So it was really nice to kind of see all of that together intertwined and the fact that she is able to have basically travel. I can't really say time travel because she's still physically in the present, but she has these visions as if she is standing there in the past. Sort of like, I know there was a, a Netflix series that's some kind of based off of the same sort of situation. And I can't remember the name of it to save my life right now. It's reminding me of uh, Game of Thrones, like Bran. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys watch that, but he can like go see anything that happened at any point in time. Like he just mentally kind of goes there. Yeah, it's it's like that. And then there's also murders happening on the reservation. And so the hero is the, he's the sheriff on the reservation and he has to figure out these murders and somehow the murders are connected to her ancestors' trauma and, you know, hundreds of years ago. And it all kind of interlinks. It's a really good poured and having all of this sort of magical stuff like poured into it on top of it. It hit all of my, ooh, I need to read this spots. Uh, And because again, I'm not really a fantasy reader, 
but the way the author is able to weave in the culturally significant things, as well as give you that element of this sort of idea is almost like she was some sort of priestess without knowing it and able to conjure these images. And as the book goes on, she's able to basically read the visions and understand what her ancestor is trying to tell her. And in that process, she helps the hero solve the mystery of who's actually murdering people on his reservation. Oh, that's super interesting. I've never heard of this book before. It's a series, actually, and it's very well written. I went on online on Twitter one day and I was just like, listen, I want a story. I don't get to read enough about Native American heroes and I don't want Mm -hmm. a story Mm -hmm. that's based on like a lot of racist stereotypes of Native Americans. I don't want to I don't want to read about the native savage. I want to read right. a good mm-hmm. story about uh, what's featuring a Native American hero. And I, I had people like, you know, throwing things at me, throwing names and book titles at me. And I would go, you know, search them out. And this woman named Constance Gilliam is like, well, I know, I'm, you know, I know it's bad form to recommend your own book, but since this is a very like niche sort of thing you're looking for. My book actually fits this. And I said, okay. So I I went, I read it and I thought it was kind of, I read the blurb and I thought it was kind of interesting. And I said, okay, I'm going to go check it out. And I literally devoured that book in a day. It was so (laughs) good. (laughs) So good. And it kind of hit all of my, as I said, all of my buttons because not just because of the whole Native American aspect, but part of my thesis study was based on how the popular memory of slavery is impacted by a lot of the narratives that we tell about slavery. And it basically desensitizes people to some of the atrocities that went on during that time. Um, So to have this book that kind of touches on that and with the added benefit of adding a Native American culture to, I was in heaven. I love discoveries like that, right? Where it's not like the book that has everybody is talking about and then you like find it and it's just so good. Oh, that sounds great. Okay. So Felicia, which romance novel would you recommend on the theme of fantasy? In my head, I was trying to, okay, be like, what is fantasy and what is urban fantasy and what is PNR? So I was trying to come up with sort of a working definition, and which I'm sure is a completely not accurate in my head. I was like, okay, so if I'm going to call something fantasy and try to separate it from the other two, I need to like center it around something where the world building is key and it's almost its own world with its own rules and reality. And one of my favorite books that sort of fits that definition was Lord of the Last Heartbeat by Mae Peterson. And when I picked this up, I was curious about it, but the writing in it is some of the most beautiful lyrical writing I've read in a really long time. And the world building in it is just incredible. I think the payoff for me with fantasy, and I do read some fantasy, is the systems and learning the rules of the world and sort of its mysteries. And I think this hits all those notes really well, plus has a very nice slow burn romance in it between 
Mio, who he's a witch himself, and he's non-binary, but he uses male pronouns. And his mother had sort of been using him. She's sort of like a crime lord witch. And so he stopped using, his gift is connected to his voice. And he stopped using his voice so she can't control him. And then he meets Rodri, who is this immortal bear shifter and lives on this estate where all these murders are happening. And the estate itself, even though the world that May built outside it is, is its own world, its own magical rules, the estate is almost like a portal. Because it, what's going on, there's a mystery about what's going on in the estate. You're trying to sort of figure out how to stop everything that's going on. Plus, watching them have this really gentle sweet love story and it's just really it's lovely the way it's done but also just fascinating you just have to learn all the things what would you say this world's like so may peterson built this world do you feel like there's a specific point that is being made about like the way the fantasy world was constructed any like commentary on anything in particular i think there's definitely commentary on power which is always sort of part of like traditional fantasy world and this there's also i think commentary on there's heavy commentary on death in this and life after death, as well as connection and a lot of guilt. There's a lot of guilt in this world that gets explored really deeply and in a really interesting sort of way. Because hmm. the one of the main characters is immortal. So exploring death in that context, definitely. Well, he was given immortality after he was murdered. Oh, oh, hmm. So dead. But and he's also guilty because he thinks somebody else should have gotten that immortality. Oh, okay. All right. So, okay. So I, I have a theory, but I want to I hear Jessica's book first because I will definitely say I did not actually expect you guys to go in the direction of the subgenre of romance of fantasy. Like, I don't know why in my head I just, I had like, like sexual fantasies. Because I guess I'm a perv. <laughs> so... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I also went in more of the subgenre fantasy, so I don't know what that says about your theory, Andrea. Um, that I'm a perv. <laughs> but yeah, I on the surface, I don't read a lot of fantasy, but I realized that in some ways I do. And the book that I picked was uh, the first book in Nora Roberts' Three Sisters Island trilogy, which was from 2001, called Dance Upon the Air. And part of the reason I picked this book is I have a soft spot for it because last spring semester I was teaching a romance writing class and one of my students was a huge fan of Nora Roberts and he never had anyone really to talk about this with. Aww. So we really bonded and he recommended this trilogy, which I had never read. And I found it just really captivating in some ways. And the book starts with sort of a prelude or that is set during the time of the Salem witch trials. Ooh. And it sort of sets up this whole series as being generations removed from the these original sisters who were witches during the time of the Salem witch trials. And they founded this little island off of the, the coast of New England. And so we get the story of these women sort of coming together and meeting on this island in present day. And so what I really liked about the fantasy is that it's really kind of embedded in, in a world that's very much seems like a contemporary world. I think that Nora Roberts does a good job of building a sense of community and this sort of small town camaraderie 
but that at the same time has a deeply unsettling undercurrent, right? Which I think is a really interesting way to think about the realities in a lot of small towns. And I should also give a content warning for this book because the main character, Nell Channing, is a survivor of intimate partner violence. And that is a huge component of this novel. And as someone who teaches women's and gender studies, I'm always really curious to see how that's depicted in fiction. Does it kind of map onto what we know is, is the reality? And I felt like Roberts did a pretty good job of doing that, of showing Nell's struggles once she's escaped the abusive relationship, how she seeks love and um, is really skeptical of that, but also how she really claims power. And that was the biggest fantasy element, I guess, in this novel is that these three women, including Nell, have these magical powers. They have different sort of relationships to them. Like Nell didn't know she had magical powers and like being in this place and meeting these women helps her to kind of tap into those powers. And it just made me really think about how maybe Roberts is trying to suggest that everyone has some kind of magical power on some level, right? And that is a deep well of strength and a possibility for transformation deep within us. And the the relationship between Nell and Zach, who is also a sheriff. So he really represents this more traditional patriarchal kind of power. And I don't want to give it away too much, but right, that that Nell and Zach kind of save each other in this really interesting climactic scene of the book using their different kinds of power. So that was that was a really fun exploration. So I actually live in the town that is just north of Salem, Massachusetts. So like I go drinking in Salem fairly frequently, (laughs) you know, I'm like passing the witch museum and just like there. So this is speaking to me specifically because I live in a, I guess, a small city in New England. And this just feels like my stomping grounds. Yeah. Okay, so here's my theory. Is it a theory? I don't know. This is a thread I picked up in the books that you three recommended. And I think it connects to the idea of romance, the genre, often being a fantasy of marginalized readers' desires. So, okay, so here here are the notes I took. So I'll start with Jessica. You know, you were talking about in Dance Upon the Air, how the heroine, so her ancestors were survivors of the Salem witch trials, and then she is a survivor of intimate partner violence. And so there's like this theme of escape. But because it's fantasy, there's kind of like these heightened things. In some ways, it's more challenging, but in other ways, like they can kind of maybe like magically solve some of these things or it's never simple, right? Like the magic just magically fixes everything, but that it's it allows the reader and, you know, the character by proxy explore those issues, right? And then skipping back to Laquette with Lakota Dreaming, what's interesting there is the fantasy aspect of that novel allows the female protagonist in that story to explore, in your words, the narratives that we tell about slavery and addressing the history of her ancestors. And I assume also the male main character's ancestral history. Yes. In like a more explicit way. And Felicia, I mean, you said that Lord of the Last Heartbeat was exploring death and guilt and power in these heightened ways. And so something that people make fun of romance novels for is 
the tropes or like these heightened aspects of relationships where and I think romance novelists and readers are constantly having to defend themselves like yeah yeah whatever it's like the world building right except romance as a genre kind of has this agreed upon world building that is yeah. built in the genre not necessarily like a particular book like it's just this like collective world building so like usual this is my usual mo i don't have a question <laughs> those are just i'm just like sitting here and i'm like oh the connections i think it's really important though i mean i think what we're really talking about is reconciliation and in this book lakota dreaming there's this the heroine is able to reconcile the trauma the historical trauma in her present and find this peace that she never had before. And at the same time, giving her, her ancestor, the, the peace that she never experienced in her lifetime. And the, the hero is very much the same. He fights a lot of the things about his culture. He doesn't necessarily want to believe that he thinks that the mythological portions that are presented in the book, that, you know, they're basically, nonsense and that he doesn't want to get wrapped up in that. And it's not until he begins to, you know, he's running from his culture and then he meets this woman who forces him in her quest to, to sort of explore her own culture, forces him to recognize his. And it's really an amazing play on how you you know, even in the present, you still need the past. You still need that history. You still need to understand. You still need to connect to those that came before you in order to be grounded in the present. Yeah, I mean, and the key is, so reconciliation, and now I'm trying to remember exactly who I spoke with about resolution, and I can't remember if it's an episode that's come out yet or I recently edited, but I think so much of romance is about resolution yeah right mm -hmm. and i mean a lot of fiction does this but i think romance does this in particular it's the like finding a conclusion a, like a nice wrapped up we tied up all these loose ends in a way that life doesn't we don't get that in life we don't get that in real life yeah and i think then like specifically with with these worlds that are fantastical in some way they go a step farther with that right like wrap things up in an even bigger way yes yeah, I'm just I'm thinking too about about my book and I have read the whole trilogy and you have to kind of read all three books to see how they ultimately uh I don't think it's giving anything away to say they ultimately <laughs> defeat evil, Yay! right? Um, and I'll find love. But I think you know that I'm just thinking that the the real evil in this book in particular is misogyny, right? That um, Nell's former abusive husband is horribly misogynistic in his ideas about women and how they should be and how they should be controlled. And then if we trace that back onto the attitudes and the actions during the Salem witch trials, right, to what degree does a deep suspicion and hatred of women fuel that situation, right? And I think it's interesting how romance as a genre gives us a space to take on these really huge kinds of oppressions and show us, particularly in this book, sort of a fantastical way of taking it on, right? Embedded in the real world. So I guess for me, I feel like I'm rambling, but it's like, you know, that this is something that we know hasn't been eradicated. It has a long history, but we can see how 
coming together in community and finding love and working together can help us take this on. And I guess that's part of the fantasy, right? That we can squash these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we haven't yet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was thinking about the Spice Girls recently because I introduced my daughter to the Spice Girls. And I was thinking back to like fifth grade Andrea, who had her mind blown by like this idea of girl power and like girls can do anything that the Spice Girls really represented and how I had this fantasy in my head as a as a young white child, a, a young white girl about like nothing can stop me. And then getting into the real world and discovering that, you know, just because the Spice Girls were out there saying girl power and wearing tight miniskirts and very tall shoes doesn't mean that misogyny has been eradicated. <laughs> and, you know, in the workplace and romantically and just like socially, there are so many like ugh, misogyny. I-, I think there's like a lot of people, particularly around my age, I'm in my earliest 30s, women who are like, no, no, this isn't a problem anymore. And it's like, yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> right (laughs) i think we go through these periods of where because there's so much what we see as personal progress in our personal lives we don't necessarily see the whole anymore and i think as a whole you know women have definitely made some strides but we still are not where we need to be in terms of having equality and having that that equity between us Mm -hmm. and and men yeah that's why we love romance because in this genre we don't have to worry about that, yeah. right? And 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 in this genre we know that we're we hope at least that when we open a book that we're going to for the most part meet a woman who is on equal footing with the with the hero, and that I think is one of the awesome things about romance: the fact that we can have that expectation when we open the book. That and we don't necessarily get that anyplace else. So it, we may not have what we want in our day to day, but I think just like the Spice Girls made you think that you could do anything and have anything, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that reading romance does the same thing for women. And doing that, as long as that happens, that actually can turn into, that has the potential to turn into something we do in reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that point. It reminds me, I was giving a talk about romance in my community and someone asked a question, which I'm sure everyone here has heard before. It's like, well, doesn't romance give people a false idea of reality, right? Like setting them up that, you know, with all these expectations that, this was particularly around around sex within relationships, right? And God forbid women expect <laughs> orgasms, know, right? right? <laughs> and I basically said, well, you know, if we think about it, like, why is it a bad thing that we are creating in an idealized world in which women and folks from marginalized communities have their stories centered, their lives mattering, their needs met in all these ways. Like, why is that so damaging, right? And because this was a particular question around sex, I was like, well, you know, studies are showing that most young people are getting their ideas about sex from pornography and sort of mainstream pornography. I'm like, 
given those two choices, I would take romance <laughs> anytime, right? Because the fantasy that romance is providing for us, like you said, Laquette, has the, the potential to really maybe transform our everyday world and mm-hmm. make it more equitable. Making it not a fantasy, but showing not fantasies, showing possibilities. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Writing that down. So, Felicia, what is something other than romance that is bringing you joy during the pandemic? Well, I have been home with both of my children, um, <laughs> who are very much siblings, and one of. <laughs> <laughs> One of the times that you said you're living in my house, in my house, <laughs> I know, I know, but, um, and they're, they're very much siblings, but one of the times that I can get them not to like attempt to murder each other is the, let me read this series of biographies that my older daughter has. So we've been reading one biography a day and I love biographies. And so far we have done Maya Angelou, Helen Keller, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Michelle Obama. And we're doing Eleanor Roosevelt tomorrow. And just sitting with them, cuddling with me, listening and asking questions has been a joy. Oh, that's a great idea. I feel like so many people are discovering these little life hacks that we would not all think of. But that's, I mean, that sounds Fantastic. And how old did you say how old your children are? They are six and nine. And it takes about an hour and a half to read one of these. So we break it up into three 30 minute sessions. Well, that's a great idea. Throughout like nice. That sounds lovely. I taught my daughter about addition and subtraction today. It was good time together. So so anyway, <laughs> we're all we're all finding ways to spend quality time with the people we love. <laughs> that's lovely. So that's all for night eight of the Decameron. Make sure you're subscribed to Shelf Love on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes of Shelf Love. And I would love it if you checked out earlier episodes in the series, plus the regular episodes where a guest and I dig deep into a romance novel worth reading. You can check the show notes for links to the romances we mentioned, plus where to find my guests. Coming up on future Quarantine Romance Book Club episodes, we'll cover history and friendship. Stay well, take care of yourselves and your community, and keep calm and keep reading romance. Hi, my name is Ellen. And I'm Ellen's mom. And together, we host Not Your Mom's Romance Book Club, part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Our podcast is basically like having a book club with your gal pal and her mom who thinks she's part of the gang and won't leave you alone. Lame, whatever kidding to a degree we operate much like your local book club adding listener insights to the book and reading books almost exclusively voted on by our listeners there is no limit to the books we will read except for the really spicy ones that ellen won't let me read with reason we post new episodes every monday and you can find us on social media at not your mom's rom find not your mom's romance book club wherever your favorite podcasts are sold for free and happy romancing Did you know that Shelf Love is part of the Frolic Podcast Network? You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.